2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 11. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded to the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast in more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insult, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties, for I am weak and then I am strong. I have made a fool of myself, but you have driven me to it. I ought to have been commanded by you, for I am not in least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. Lord, thank you that we can come to you expectantly, hopefully. And Lord, we know that we don't always get the answers we require. But Lord, help us to remember that you will give us the answers that you suggest are right. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, uh, I wish, I really, really wish I could come to you today and say to you, I've got all the answers about unanswered prayer and you're going to go away today um, at the end of of church today and you are going to be able to (laughs) do X, Y and Z I know that all of a sudden your prayers are going to be answered because obviously the, you know, there's a formula for why our prayers aren't working. I'm really sorry that I have to say I, I can't give you that assurance. If I was standing in front of my own congregation at Godston, for many of the people in that congregation, I would know the type of things that they would be praying for, or at least I would assume I would know, because I'd know some of their situations and I'd know some of the serious issues that surround their lives and the things they'll have been praying for. And as I stand before you, I might imagine that there will be some of those similar needs and prayer requests, but I don't know the exact circumstances for you here or for any of you. So if I touch some raw nerves today, and I'll be praying that I don't, then please just just hang in there. I can't give you anything today that I think is an answer, a specific reason why prayers are unanswered. But what I hope I can do, and what I hope God can do through me, is give you some perspectives that might be helpful when you're asking the question, why haven't you answered my prayer, God? So that's kind of where I'm coming from today, and I hope that 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 is Good enough for God, because if it's good enough for him, it's got to be good enough for you. So Paul's thorn in the flesh that we had read to us early, it's probably the most famous or most quoted part of the Bible when people are talking about unanswered prayer. Actually, what's really interesting is Paul doesn't say what his thorn in the flesh is. And many commentators and many scholars posit various suggestions about what it might be. There are some 
uh, texts that are outside the biblical canon that, that paint Paul as somebody who was somewhat um, suffered from crippling um, deformities that meant he found it very difficult to walk. Uh, they paint him as a short or... Um, I hesitate to use the word ugly, but I think it's the word that was used in the, the context of what I was reading. Uh, um, some people think about the thorn in the flesh perhaps being a niggling emotional worry or spiritual worry. And one of the other suggestions that for me quite often rings true is actually it's a, a problem with his eyesight. One of the reasons this is suggested is because, of course, Paul has this Damascus Road experience of a blinding light. And we see that the, we hear that the scales form on his eyes, and then after a few days they drop off, and the scales fall from his eyes, and he's able to see again. But maybe there's a, a remnant of, of kind of disability left, impairment left in his eyes because of that experience. And he says, doesn't he, see with what a big hand I write when he's writing his own letter. And perhaps, I think this might be a reasonable explanation, because I myself suffer from fairly, not, not severe enough to stop me driving, but fairly severe visual impairment. I'm really, really short-sighted. So maybe that's why, and I accept that that might very well be why I like to think that that might be what Paul's thorn in the flesh is. But let's be honest, we don't know for sure. What we do know for sure is that he asks for it to be removed three times. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. I bet there's things in your life you've asked God for a heck of a lot more than three times. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. It's not always enough of an answer for us, I think. I think we would most of us say that we have struggled we might have had a, an unanswered prayer, a deep need, a, a, a relative who's not been healed, a person who we've longed to see come to faith and has, has you know, never really made a public declaration of the saving faith in Jesus. And sometimes to be told, God's grace is sufficient. Okay, God's grace might be enough, but it doesn't always feel like it's enough when there's a burning desire in your heart to see something come to fruition, to see a prayer answered. So why? Why aren't our prayers always answered? Yes, we can take comfort in the fact that Paul's prayer here isn't answered. And other super apostles, as Paul, I love that phrase, as Paul, Paul calls them, I'm sure also, had prayers that went unanswered. And we're going to look at two other people and their stories of unanswered prayer from within the Bible. But why aren't they answered? It's a fascinating question, isn't it? And I bet a lot of you have wrestled with it. Pete Gregg, or possibly Pete Grieg, I'm not really sure which way it's pronounced, he's the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement. And he's written a fantastic book. If you are at all interested in this subject in looking at why God is sometimes feels silent or doesn't answer our prayers. He's written a book called God on Mute. And if you are at all interested in this and you want to delve deeper into it, I urge you to look at this book because this is a man who I would regard as a prayer warrior, uh, a prayer evangelist, a man who seeks to spread 
the good news about prayer and prayer 24-7, who himself has struggled with this. He writes from his own experience in this book, and it's a painful and difficult read at times, when his wife, suffering from um, severe brain hemorrhage, and then ends up, after extended spells in hospital, with repeated severe epilepsy, um, and he writes from his own experiences about why he thinks God might not answer prayer. And he lists 15 reasons and 15 things we might do to address the reasons why God doesn't answer prayer. I'm not going to read them all out to you, but I want to highlight a few just very briefly. He says one reason might be because God has something better planned for us. The prayer that we're praying for is not the prayer that God actually sees wanting to grant because he has something better planned for us. It might be because of our motive isn't quite right, Pete suggests. He says that actually prayers can sometimes be selfishly motivated even when we are sure they're not. Even when we don't think we're praying for it selfishly, sometimes deep down, maybe even on a subconscious level they are. He suggests one other reason might be that it's to do with our relationship with God. And God, much like, I think, what actually happens to Paul here when he says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. When I am weak, I am strong. Maybe God wants to use this this, this experience of unanswered prayer as an opportunity for us to come into a more full and dependent relationship with him. And one of the other suggestions that is made in this book, God on Mute, is actually that idea of there being spiritual forces that are working against God's will and against what we are asking for. That feeling of spiritual attack or spiritual warfare that I think some people are more... um, yeah, discern more clearly than other people. I think that's just part of, talks about discernment being one of the spiritual gifts, doesn't it? Uh, and I think that's kind of one of those possible explanations for it. Pete goes on, to, as I said, he lists 15 of them. And there's one in there that actually I would like to take an issue with. One in there that I'm not sure about. And it's something we might hear quite often expressed as a reason for unanswered prayer. And that's the idea that actually some unconfessed sin has got in the way. And you may not agree with me about this, and I'm very prepared for disagreement on this particular point today. So please don't feel ashamed or embarrassed or think that you must be wrong, because it might well be me that's wrong. But I put this to you as a, a suggestion and something that I think. I'm not sure that unconfessed sin is actually a reason for unanswered prayer. Let's just have a look at Job. Most of you, I think, can you just put your hand up? How familiar, if you're, if you're on a scale of one to ten, you have, where ten is the most familiar and you know it back to front, and one is, oh, I don't really know very much about it at all, can you put your hand up if you are a level six on familiarity with the story of Job? Level six or more? Some of you making reasonable... Okay, fine. So, Job... Thank you very much for that. It wasn't a test. That was was just me gauging a a level of information so I know where to pitch this next bit, okay? So, Job is there, and he... Satan has said to God, 
how can people rely on you? Everybody will eventually turn away from you. And God says, well, I'll tell you what, have a look at my servant Job. He's good and faithful. And Satan says, oh, well, he won't be faithful for a bit. He won't be ta- faithful when you start testing him, when we start putting him through trials. So God says, no, 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 he'll be faithful. So God takes away Job's livelihood, his crops. And Job remains faithful. And he takes away Job's health. And Job remains faithful. And he takes away Job's family. And Job continues, in spite of all this, to praise God and remain faithful to him until chapter 30. And Job, by this point, has had some mm, perhaps unhelpful friends or perhaps helpful friends coming and talking to him and, and saying, what's going on with you? This is what you ought to be thinking about, God. And eventually, Job says this. He says, I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. I know you will bring me down to death, to the place appointed all the living. He despairs and he asks God, what is going on? He's despairing to him. Finally, he's kind of going, I don't really understand what's happening. He still seems to remain committed to God, but he certainly questions what is going on. Why, if you like, haven't his prayers been answered? God's response, eight chapters later, is a little bit frustrating for us, but I think does show us something about the realities of unanswered prayer. Job says, why haven't you answered my prayers? And God responds like this. Where were you, Job, when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? And God continues in that vein as if to say, I am God. That is the somewhat frustrating answer that God gives Job when Job asks him, why haven't you answered? Because I'm God. Because my sovereignty is limitless. And because this is what is happening. And what is Job's response to God's response? (laughs) He says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely, says Job, I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Job's response seems to be, yes, you are God. An acceptance that actually there is no reason, well, not no reason, but no answer that we can understand I said I wasn't sure about unconfessed sin being a reason for suffering, for unanswered prayer. It's important to note, Job is not sinful. 
Job is talked about in the early stages of the chapter as no one on earth being like him, blameless and upright, and yet still he suffers immense pain and immense torture from, because God has decided that he is God and this is what will happen. And gosh, what a horrible and harsh thought to think. And yet, we have to hold this in tension with the fact that actually our God loves us so much that he would send his son to die for us. When I showed that clip of Frozen, it's another reason why God might not answer our prayers because we don't realise the enormity of what we're praying for. And I should have said at that point, and by all means, if you have children at home, you might want to fill them in on the missing piece of the jigsaw that I perhaps missed out of that, that actually many of God's servants through the ages also have that experience of unanswered prayer. And Paul's thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12 is just one of those examples. Job is another example. How often, I wonder, is our belief that prayer is unanswered is actually a misguided belief that God wants the same as what we want. Actually, when we talk about unanswered prayer, it's actually what we're saying that the answer that we've received isn't the answer that we want. Because sometimes, all too often, as I said earlier, the answer might be no. Another book, much older, and I don't know if it's as easy to get hold of these days, simpler, easier to read, by all means, is by Fred Cricks, and it's called God's Five Answers to Prayer. It's a very <laughs> formulaic approach in many ways, and not, again, also not without its faults, I think. But he talks about five answers that God offers for prayer. And I think all of Pete Gregg's 15 suggestions for why prayer is unanswered can be found within these five answers that God might offer. And Fred suggests that these five answers that we might experience are yes, a joyful yes. They might be a no, for any number of reasons, much like Pete suggests in his book. They might be, wait, your timing's wrong. They might be, and I like this one, and I think sometimes we don't think about this often enough, do it yourself. How often is actually the solution to our prayer actually something that we can do? How often might we pray, oh God, I hope you'll help the lady next door who's really struggling at the moment uh, preparing meals for her children because she doesn't have enough time. And actually, how often actually is the solution for that, is the answer to that prayer ourselves, and the fact that actually maybe we, maybe, I mean, <laughs> can be able to cook that lady a meal ourselves and provide it for her, leave it on her doorstep or whatever. Yes, no, wait, do it yourself. Mind your own business, which I always think is a very <laughs> strange one, but I think is something of what we're saying in that story of Job, that actually God is God. And we can't always know, we're never going to know the answers to what he has to say. When we get to heaven, 
we will see clearly. But for now, we see through a glass darkly. One final example from the Bible of unanswered prayer. When Jesus is in Gethsemane, he prays, Abba, Father, take this cup from me. And as he cries in prayer, Luke, who, remember, was a doctor, Luke expresses, he says, his tears, he ends up crying blood and sweating blood. The very essence of Jesus comes out as he experiences the anguish of knowing what is to come, of knowing the pain that he will suffer, and yet, still he asks, God, take this cup from me. Let me not have to go through this. course, the second part of that prayer that Jesus prays is, yet not my will, but yours be done. And I wonder how often when we pray our prayers, are we able to include and consider that second part of Jesus' prayer as being a crucial part of understanding what is happening. I read an explanation of prayer being a desire to replace our thoughts with God's thoughts. That actually, as we seek to become more like Christ, so also should our thoughts and our emotions and all of us become more like him. And actually, in prayer, what we're saying is replace our desires and our needs with yours. And again, that can be a very difficult thing to come to terms with in the context of those unanswered prayers that are preying heavily on our minds. I want to end with one final thought for you. Coming back to that picture, or remaining in that picture of Easter. Maybe one other option for unanswered prayer is actually, you're in an Easter Saturday moment. On Good Friday... God didn't seem to answer Jesus' prayer, take that cup from me. And what would the reaction of the disciples have been? They would have run. They would have gone back and found places to hide. And yet on Easter Sunday we see the wonderful, wonderful experience and expression that actually God does, may not have answered the prayer to take the cup away from Jesus because he had something better in mind, because he had an Easter Sunday picture and knew that that was coming. Maybe for some of you, your unanswered prayers are still in that Easter Saturday moment. Easter Sunday day, Easter Sunday will come. It might not come until we meet with Jesus in heaven. But maybe at the moment you're in an Easter Saturday moment. I hope something 
from those suggestions and ideas and perspectives that I've shared with you today might help you in some way with some of the struggles you may have with unanswered prayer. I'd really be really happy to talk to you more about this, and particularly if you have any issues or kind of disagreements with things I've said, I'd love to talk to people about that. I'm never going to be standing up here with all of the answers and telling you everything's right. But I'd love to be able to share and talk some more with you about this afterwards. So if you come out, if you say, that was good, be prepared for me to say, ooh, what was good about it? So that we can start a conversation. But thank you, and thanks very much. Let's, um, let's end with prayer, shall we? Lord, um, we don't always know your ways. Help us to find them. Help us to listen to you in those places where you might be. We know you haven't always said it's going to be easy, and there are times where we cannot understand why this prayer that we're praying just seems so right and so, so much of you. It must be part of your plans, we think, and yet still you don't answer. Lord, help us to come to terms when that happens and help us to accept that you are our sovereign God. It isn't always easy, but Lord, we trust in you and Lord, we know that one day there is a better promise given. And Lord, help us to look to the Easter Sundays when we might be still on a Saturday. In Jesus' name, amen.